Got another fashion how-to question. So Tim Gunn from Project Runway is going to help us out again. So Tim, let's listen to this voicemail. Hi, my name is Mackenzie. I'm calling from New York, and I have a question about uh, what to wear to my new job. The dress code is not even business casual. It's pretty much just business. But I'm one of the younger people in the office, so I'd kind of like to be the whoopee to their convent. Um, Do you have any advice on how I can dress professionally but still fashionably and you know, can I can I dress up a romper, for example? Can I wear thigh highs as long as I'm wearing pearls? I'm a little bit at sea, so I would love some help here. Thanks very much. Mackenzie, you're trying to get yourself out of a job? Good heavens. I mean, the, the, the higher-end professional dress code is the easiest thing in the world to follow. My advice is to avoid the boxy menswear tailored items when it comes to jackets. Um, and have tops, jackets that, that fit you well. You could have a peplum. You could have feminine details. Don't channel Hillary Clinton. Uh, channel Nancy Pelosi. And the fact that you're the youngest, if you start wearing rompers and thigh-high boots, boy, turn in your, your park, parking lot key, <laughs> really. Don't, don't, don't do that. You want a long career, I hope. What is, I don't even, not sure that I know what a romper is. Mike, you do. It's a onesie. What? Yes, it's an adult onesie. That snaps at the bottom? Well, no. It doesn't okay. have that snap. because you, I mean, unless you're packing a diaper. I mean, you may want to do that. Um, but no, it's an adult onesie. That's exactly what it is. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, how to become a PA announcer. And how to beat one of those crane games at the arcade, maybe. We, yeah. may, we may or may not help you with that. But you'll at least learn why you're losing. But first, the Ig Nobel Prizes were awarded last week. And if you don't know what those are, those are prizes given to ridiculous research in the various fields of science. You, either things you didn't think maybe were being researched or should be researched. And this year's Fluid Dynamics Prize went to Hans Mayer and Ruslan Krachetnikov at UC Santa Barbara. Now, they had some findings about coffee uh, we thought might make a useful how-to. So uh, Hans is on the line with us now. First of all, Hans, c- congratulations. Yeah, this, this must feel great. Um, I, I guess to some extent, um, yeah. You, you've won a huge award. I mean, is it an honor to win uh, an Ig Nobel Award? Yes and no. Um, you know, my background, so I'm just a grad student here, and my background is primarily engineering, so from... The engineering side, it's not, you know, engineers don't usually win this award, I guess. Well, let's get into the the specifics here. So um, tell us what it was you guys figured out. So um, I, I guess to give you a little bit of a backstory, um, me and my advisor had uh, been at a conference, and generally at a conference there's a lot of coffee breaks, and they, they give out coffee, and, and everyone's walking around in a hurry, and people were spilling coffee left and right, really. And we thought, you know, it'd be kind of fun to do um, a short, sort of simple investigation as to why coffee spills. And we really set up um, a series of experiments where um, my advisor walked with a cup of coffee, with various um, levels of coffee in the cup, and at different walking speeds. And, and we found out kind of the motion of the cup. Um, and you can imagine it being coupled to the body. It's, it's relatively complex. Yeah. And uh, we figured out kind of, you know, when coffee spills and how that relates to that motion. And uh, that's, that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it's a pretty accessible paper and a pretty accessible study. 
Well, yeah, anyone who's been to a conference has spilled coffee on themselves at some point. Yeah, I'm sure there's actually been quite a bit of work on coffee spilling uh, because, you know, people have invented the lid. So, <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, so, Hans, what did you guys determine? Like, what's the optimum level in motion when carrying coffee? Well, really, um, you know, in terms of the level, we, we tested conditions that we thought were basically as close to regular walking as you can get. So a coffee that's that's almost filled or nearly filled, um, basically a rigid ceramic mug. And, you know, kind of the rules that we came up with, if you want to think about it that way, are that um, one is to sort of slow down your initial motion. Um, a lot of times it's uh, spilling occurs because there's a, a fast acceleration at the start, and that simply pitches the liquid level back and it spills over. Um, and unfortunately, you know, what we, what we looked at, too, was the fact that the, the motion of the body when you're carrying a mug um, tends to uh, be very close to the natural frequency of the liquid in the cup, and that just happens to be because the cups are a particular size. So, you know, um, basically don't move too fast uh, is, is kind of the rule there, at least at the start. Okay. Are you, when you talk about the frequency, are you saying that the, the liquid in the cup is, is going to kind of wave back and forth exactly. at the same rhythm I'm, I'm walking? Well, it's, you know, it has a frequency that it would want to you know, move back and forth at, and that natural frequency is very close um, to the frequency at which you walk or the frequency at which you, know, you are uh, forcing the mug back and forth. Oh, that's interesting. So should I kind of, as I'm carrying it, should I move in a kind of liquidy coffee way? Um, I, you know, you might attract some attention if you do that. <laughs> but I'm gonna, if I don't spill, it could be worth it. Keep you dry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I spill a lot of coffee on my shirts. I think if you looked at these pants I'm wearing right now, you would find some coffee stains. Yeah, and, and you know what? Uh, basically, when we were running the tests, um, the experiments, really, we had to kind of choose a particular orientation to hold the mug, which was, was sort of um, directly out. A lot of people hold coffee in a lot of different ways as they walk, so I would definitely recommend not keeping it sort of close to your chest. Now, you, you talked about uh, looking at the level of coffee in the mug. Is there um, kind of a sweet spot where I'm maximizing how much coffee I can transport um, but minimizing risk of spillage? Well, so if, if you look at the paper, the way that we um, presented the data um, is really in kind of a steps-to-spill versus uh, walking speed or walking speed characterized by an initial acceleration. And it, it's, it's kind of intuitive that the lower the level of coffee in the mug, the number of steps to spill increases for any given speed. So, you know, maybe give it a, a, a centimeter from the top or so, and, and you might be able to get from point A to point B. Now, as an, your, your, train, your background is in engineering. Have you considered creating maybe a gyroscopic coffee mug that would stay level at any velocity? Um, no. Uh, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, the the tests on the coffee are over. I just <laughs> kind of drink out of whatever's there. Really? So you don't feel, Hans, like, you know what, there's more here with coffee that needs to be discovered? You know, I think there's, I think it's an interesting problem because it is really a confluence of a lot of different subjects. Um, it involves fluid dynamics and sloshing and biomechanics, uh, human motion, and dynamical systems, I, I think it's a really rich topic. Uh, whether or not it's, it's worth future study, uh, I guess it just depends on the investigators. Uh. 
Now, now you just named uh, fluid dynamics, dynamic properties, and you also had the word sloshing in there. Is mm-hmm. that a scientific term, sloshing? Um, yeah, it's an engineering term. Really? So, uh, sloshing engineering is um, uh, rockets carrying liquid fuels and ships carrying um, liquids and solids, and they're, they're, you know, they, there's sloshing that goes on. There's, it's, it's a big field. Sloshing engineering. So I, I could like potentially be at a conference and meet somebody who would tell me they are a sloshing specialist. I, you know, probably. <laughs> <laughs> could I go to school and get a, a, a like a PhD in sloshing? Um, you know, I don't know. It, it would probably be sort of a subdiscipline within <laughs> engineering or physics, but uh, I'm sure you can work that out on on the uh, the diploma there. Well, congratulations, Hans, on your uh, award-winning research, and we wish you many future awards. Uh, thank you very much. So, uh, you know what we should do? We should take what we've just learned from Hans, and we should have a coffee race. You versus me. Yeah. Whoever wins carrying coffee wins. Mano a mano, muggo a muggo. So we're going to head up to the How to Do Everything indoor uh, track stadium. Yeah, you'll know we're there when we start uh, racing in sloshed tones. So, uh, Blythe, I think first the first thing we need to do here is you need to verify if we have even levels in our coffee. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a wimpy pour on both sides, but an equally wimpy pour. I'd measure it as one finger of space between the top and the coffee. Yeah, smart. So, so we should say the rule here is we have about a 50-meter race course marked off, and um, if you spill, you're immediately disqualified. Other than that... First one to touch that door down there uh, wins. I'm ready. Three, two, one, go. Thanks, Bill. Oh. <laughs> that, I got really nervous there. You were you run a lot of races. I saw you making a, a break. There was some separation. I couldn't move without spilling. You know those uh, arcade games, the the crane game where you have to move the joystick and you the claw drops down and maybe grabs a teddy bear? It's a great way to lose $5. I usually give up after a quarter or two, but whatever the case, how do you win these things? Uh, joining us now is Zach Baker. He did some research into this. Uh, he found a bunch of the crane game owner's manuals online. So, Zach, it seems like sometimes you can get the prize with the claw, but then sometimes the claw is just too weak to hold anything. So can you tell us what's going on there? Right. Now, there's three, there's three things that are going to determine whether you win a claw game, where the prize is, you know, if it's close to the chute, you know, you're in good shape. Uh, where you're going to put the claw, you try to line it up just right, and, you know, you go to the side, of the side of the machine and, you know, make sure it's just right. And then the third is something people don't think about, is, what, is how strong that claw is going to hold on to the prize. And if it's weak, you're not really going to be able to pick up anything. Well, then, now, can you control the strength of the claw? No, it's actually something you can't control, and it's trickier than you think. That's actually where the sophistication go- comes in. Uh, these days, there are machines that are actually engineered with the ability to drop your prize just after it picks it, picks it up. So that's, I mean, that's the, the key thing here, is that even though it looks like it's a simple... Uh, like three-step process of moving the claw, targeting your thing, and then going for it. The thing to keep in mind is that the claw isn't honest. 
Yeah, basically there's something going on that, you, that you're just not aware of, which is that as soon as you press the button to start the game, it's kind of decided whether it wants to let you, let you have a chance of winning or not. Uh, because it can switch to switch to weak mode, or it can keep it in strong mode, and you can and you can have that sort of uh, longshoreman's grip on the prize that'll you know make sure that you actually get it. But it only does the strong mode like once every like 18 games on on some current settings for for uh, for, for these claw games. So it is it's set to only allow a winner one in say 18 times. Right. The rest of the times it's just it's just too weak. So, so Zach, we've been talking about the the crane game where you drop the claw down to get a, a stuffed animal. The, there's also the uh, the kind of scissor cutting game where there are all these prizes suspended from strings at the top of of a cage, and you have to cut them with scissors. Uh, what can you tell us about those? Yeah, I, I see those. Those are actually pretty popular at like the uh, at like the bowling alleys and uh, truck stops and. So on, and they have some pretty amazing prizes in there. They'll have like a game system or an iPod Touch, and you look it up and you find that the scissors can barely cut uh, unless they're on the strong mode, which really only happens one out of every ooh 500 times. Right. So it seems like you're uh, being skillful and you know putting them in the right place, but really it's just up to whether you have the right uh, you have the right number. The clever thing is that since these machines are all inside glass. Uh, the strings are just sort of stand, are just sort of sitting out, and the prizes will just fall if you cut the string. So someone clever enough decided to uh, to come up with a high-powered laser and through the glass laser cut that string, which made the price fall fall down. Sounds totally illegal, but uh, I, I think I think this is the the revenge of the uh, of of the uh, of the game players here. Yeah. All right. This has been great. Thanks, Zach. Hey. Thanks a lot, guys. Eric is on the line. He has a question. So, Eric, where are you calling from? I am actually in the admissions office at Carleton College, where I'm working over the summer. Are yep. you deciding who gets in and who doesn't? Uh, well, they don't. They don't quite leave that up to the students here, but we uh, do do tours and interview prospective students. So it's uh, still a lot of fun, though. Do you run a pretty tough interview? Uh, I mean, I try not to try not to push people too hard. Mostly, just want to learn a little bit more about them. Try not to ask any any too any questions that are too tough. But what's your zinger question? That you got to have like one question. That's, a zinger. Yeah, that's like um, the most revealing. I, mean, I always like to leave the interview asking people with three adjectives that they'd like me to sort of have left with. So sort of seeing what their sort of bottom line um, sort of view of themselves is. Yeah. What's the worst answer you've ever gotten to that question? I had one person describe themselves as lazy. <laughs> really? Yeah, that was uh, definitely not, did not make me think uh, terribly well of them. I think I would probably go with, like, busty. So, what can we help you with? All right, well, I would like to learn how to be a public address announcer. I'm going to be the public address announcer for the uh, women's varsity uh, volleyball games this fall, and I really have no idea what I'm doing. Wait, wait, wait. So you already have the job, but you don't know how to do it? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> How'd you pull that off? I just applied, and uh, no one else stepped up, so they were... They gave it to me. But clearly, you this is something you wanted. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Do you have experience uh, announcing? No, not really. I've done a talk radio show for the college radio station for the past couple of years, but nothing uh, nothing really like that. Do you know anything about volleyball? Um, I play on the men's club team, but I don't have a ton of experience. So I know a little bit, and the, uh, the job is actually fairly limited. We, I mostly just have to sort of do an introduction and announce the starting lineup. So it's just uh, sort of just that part of the game, and then after that I run the scoreboard. So, 
Hmm. All right. So starting lineups is where we want to focus. Yep, I think that's probably the the big thing. All right. Can you give us a sample of maybe how you're going to approach this when when the season starts? Um, I mean, I think that I think that for now, my my main approach was just to to sort of more, go with more sort of a dull tone for the uh, for the away team, and then try to sound a little bit a little bit more excited for the. Uh, um, for the home, uh, the home team. Well, should, can you show us how you do that? Like, show us the difference. Like, like let's pretend Ian is one of the players on the other team. How would you introduce him, Ian, from the visiting team? I'm, I'm six feet tall. If that helps. All right, uh, at six feet tall, uh, number five, Ian. Yep, that was pretty lackluster. All right, and Mike, I think you're what six one, six two. I'm about yeah six eight. Uh, and I'm on the home team, and everybody loves me. And uh, just so you have a full name to deal with, his his name is Mike Danforth. So let's let's bring him out. All right, now it's six eight, Mike Danforth. I gotta say, Eric, I could have used a little more enthusiasm there. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely where I need to work. All right, okay. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna look into this for you, and uh, we will get you an answer. All right, thank you so much. All right, Eric, I think we found somebody who who can help you out. Yeah, Ray Clay was the PA announcer for the Chicago Bulls for years, back when Jordan and Pippen, back when they were winning championships. Let's let's hear what his lineup sounded like. Now, Ray, that that was your trademark uh, announcement, and you came up with that actually during your audition with the Bulls. They just sat you down in a game and and basically said, "Go." So, did the guy that hired you did he give you any instructions for doing the lineup? He said, "Here's your script. You know, you can announce them any way you want. You know, whatever you want to do." So I'm, you know, quick scribbling stuff down, figuring, you know, how I'm going to announce these people. And I said, "Oh, this is kind of cool," but I'll write it down. And he says, "Now remember, you know, the lights go out." And I'm looking at my sheet, and I'm going, <laughs> "The lights go out. <laughs> what am I going to do?" And he says, "Well, you don't have a flashlight." He says, "But there's enough light that comes off the scoreboard." So I'm sitting there going, "This is my audition." You know, the first things that are coming out of my mouth. I mean, there's eighteen thousand screaming people in this building, and the lights are out, and I've got to read my script. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was a little worried. I yeah. didn't know what was going to happen, but you know, we we got to that part, and you know, I'm trying to think. Well, you know, I know that they do the and now the starting lineup for your Chicago Bulls as as the open. So I said, you know, I'm going to roll with that, and all of a sudden the lights go out. The stadium just erupts and everybody starts screaming, and I'm going, "Oh my God!" <laughs> you know, nobody's going to be able to hear me. Yeah. So I, you know, I let out with a and now, <laughs> and you know, everybody's sort of, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder if that's something that we can tell Eric that he should just assume 
that no one can hear him and just go for it. Yeah, try and be heard. You know, and seeing that he's doing volleyball, I think, you know, the most important thing is does he know the game? Mm-hmm. And does he know what a side out is and a kill and a touch off the block and things like that? So, you know, you need to be knowledgeable about what's going on. But, you know, pregame, I would talk to the players and say, you know, what do you, I assume it's girls, what mm-hmm. do you girls yeah. want, you know? Hey, Blythe, would it be possible to pull up the roster of the Carlton women's volleyball team? Maybe we could try that out with some of their players. Let's pick one of their seniors. Alyssa Walter, a 6-1 middle hitter from Carleton College, Alyssa Walter. Yeah, that's stirring. And again, with a college <laughs> player, you know, he may want to announce the hometown she was from or the high oh, school. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, instead of Carleton College because they're all from Carleton yeah. College. Yeah, Well, I wonder if, like, you know, uh, if there's – just a part of the game where he could maybe make a catchphrase. You know what? We've got side out. That's not so exciting. Kill, I think, is kill. The thing. Can yeah. we come up with a catchphrase maybe for Eric? Like a Carlton kill. Another kill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got that's any? cool. How yeah. would you do? But yeah. that's me, my nerd voice. How yeah. do you do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your strong voice. Kelly Smith with a Carlton kill. That's. That's good. Well, Ray, thanks for coming on down here. And hopefully Eric will take this and the Carlton Knights will go on to a hugely successful volleyball season. I sure hope so. I'll have to start following them in the paper. (laughs) (laughs) That does it for today's show. What we learned today, Mike? I learned that there may be a field of uh, engineering that I might be interested in. Sloshing. Do you think the favorite time of year for a, a sloshing engineer is that awkward time between winter and spring. You're thinking of slushing engineers, and that's a m- entirely different science. See? I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and then there's the engineers who research Guns N' Roses solos, and those they are actually slashing engineers. Slashing engineers. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Hega with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Leah Menzer. Who we won out of a a crane game. She held on. That was the difference. She held on to the claw. You want sentient prizes. That's how you win. Send us your questions at howto at npr.org. Our website, listen to this, is npr.org slash howto. That's a lot easier. Is it? No. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.